This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air. Welcome to Headscarves and Good Yarns with me, Amal Abdullahi. The show is all about talking about race, diversity, and everything in between, all in the hopes of empowering a more empathetic Aotearoa. We talk about all these huge life things through the lens of people's lives and stories. I hope every yarn you take a wee gem from it and expands your heart and mind just a wee bit more. Yora, assalamualaikum. Welcome to another episode of Headscarves and Good Yarns. I am super, super excited because A, I am not alone but for um, this episode and I am joined by Jean and Angela and they're both queens in my eyes. I think they're both very, very courageous um, choosing to live a life that's so authentic and um I'm very excited to get into the conversation today and talk about their transition stories. And by hearing this episode, I hope that everyone is better allies and has more empathy and curiosity for generally our, in the wider sense, our queer community, but specifically our transgender community. Um, We need to love our transgender community a lot more and we need to learn um, how to become better allies. So welcome, Jean and Angela. Thank you so much for um, agreeing to be on Headscarves and Good Yarns. I'm so excited to meet you. Uh, So kia ora, welcome. Kia ora, welcome. Nice to be here. Hey, hey. Um, And I want to begin this conversation at the beginning point of your lives. So if you could please tell me what was the younger version of yourself like? Where did you grow up? Um, What ideas of womanhood and femininity did you have growing up? But yeah, in a wider sense, what was your younger self like? Um, And it's up to you, Gina Angela, who wants to answer that first. I'm quite happy to go first. Yeah. Um, I, I was actually born in the Waikato in, in um, Hamilton Hospital. Um, the, uh, my mother was absolutely determined that I was going to be a girl and, <laughs> had, and, and had picked out the name of Pamela for me. Um, we... Um, the, the story also goes that um, she didn't want another boy, and if it came with red hair, she was going to drown it. So, who turned up to spoil the party? A little red-headed boy. <laughs> anyway, um, I, 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 I basically lived in um, in the South Waikato town, a timber town. Um, in those days, you either chopped the trees down or carted the trees or you sawed the trees up or, or you fixed the machinery that did it. So um, there was no real chance of, you know, coming home and saying, Mum, I want to be a girl because she probably would have picked up a piece of wood and given me a few whacks around the legs. Um, so that's basically the, the, the beginning of my life. Um, as I went through school, I was quite timid, um, had no girlfriends, um, often teased. Um, I was even teased by the girls. And I was 
really teased badly by my brother and sister, who were all older than me. Um, I think that's probably about as much at the moment anyway. Oh, kia ora. Thanks, Jean. And uh, what about you, Andrew? Well, I was born in Gore, of all places. It's not far from where Jean currently lives. Yeah. And, <laughs> but it wasn't. I wasn't born in the hospital. I was number six in a family of seven. And I was actually born in the car. Dad was a little bit slow getting me there. And I've got, he, he delivered me, but he had big strong hands and he squeezed my head. And you know how a baby's head is, is um, got soft yeah. bones. Well, I've got a, a ridge line down, down here. It's a good job I haven't gone bald because it wouldn't look very nice. <laughs> he changed the shape of my head. He changed my, changed my life forever, I'm sure. Mm. But, um, of course, I didn't know this until some years later. But, um, and once again, same as Jim, my mum wanted a girl. And she said um, she always wished I, I was a girl. And sometimes you have to be careful what you wish for <laughs> um, because it may come to pass. But um, mm. I, I wasn't I, – I, when I was a, a schoolboy, I loved the girls. In fact, I loved the girls so much I wanted to be one. And that's that's and and when I was about ten, I started on the cross dressing cable. I used to flog my older sister's clothes and wear them when nobody was looking. And I've always been a cross dresser all my life, and and it wasn't until um, eighteen months ago that I got brave enough to say, "Well, look, I've had enough of being um, a boy and a man," because I built up a suit of armour as a, an imaginary suit of armour as as a bloke because I was so scared of my feelings, I didn't want anybody to know. And I, I was able to block uh, that out from other people for 40-odd years. And, and um, uh, if you want somebody to have a scheme uh, to rob the crown jewels or something like that, I'm your, I'm your person because uh, I'm very good at deception. But I suddenly had enough of de deception a couple of years ago and I said, "And th this is enough. I'm going to um, do... Um, I'm going to fulfil one of my dreams of being a girl, and I'm and I'm a girl. That is, sorry, just for people who are tuning in. Jean also has some other friends in her um, background, so <laughs> the laugh was not in response to Angela. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for um, to the both of you for highlighting your beginning points. I think you, when you think about where you've come from, it really paints a picture of how you see this world, how you move in this world. And, you know, we're all on a journey, right? But in the order in which we take steps is kind of dictated by where we start. And I think it's really interesting that both of you brought up this fact that, A, both of your mothers wanted you to be girls. And that is, well, I mean, your mother's wishes came true, but just not in a way they could ever, ever imagine at that time. And I think it's also really interesting that you've both brought up the fact that, you know, wanting to be a different gender was not the norm at the time or people didn't talk about it and it wasn't very open. Like I think about the knowledge that people like we have now, you know, the conversation around pronouns and the conversation around gender is changing. I mean, people are becoming more and more open to the fact that it's not as strict between girl and boy um it's more of a spectrum and I kind of just wanted to 
understand more from the both of you. What was it like growing up and not really having that acceptance from society um, and trying to figure out your own identity? Was it really confusing? Did you think because you, like, did you have the, when did you first understand the word transgender? Um, I learned about it back in the 80s. I didn't really know much about it. Um, I'd spent a long time looking after a mother who was an alcoholic all my life. And um, my parents split up, so it, it was left to me to um, to actually look after her. Um, and so in the 80s, I I actually went and met a transgender person and I thought, I just kind of wasn't sure what to think at the time. And I went back home and I thought, oh my goodness, I could do this. The only problem was I still had a young child at home. Mm-hmm. And I I just didn't want to hurt my partner or, my, or have my child get a hard time at school. And so I just kept on with the cross-dressing and I suppressed what I really wanted to do. And and that's basically my whole life, really. I I, I, I probably bit the same as, as, as Angela. I, you know, through those puberty years, I, I, I had sisters and they, um, they had all these beautiful rock and roll dresses with lots of petticoats and things like that. And I just absolutely loved them. And I would come home from school and, and put on their clothes and wander around for a while because I knew it'd be a few hours before anybody. So um, I don't know where I am at the moment. You were right, Jean. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, in the 80s, uh, I did tell my wife what I was doing and um, she didn't really get upset or anything. And um, I had a trip with her with a, um, a psychologist who really didn't come up with anything very much for me, to help me. And so I put myself to work and I became, I need, like I needed a project and a project basically kept my head down. Um, I, I, I found I couldn't work in a workshop anymore because I just didn't fit in with a, with a group of men. So I went dairy farming, and in those days, dairy farms weren't very big, and there was lots of cows, and there was only one other man, and um, and I found I fitted in there okay. So that's what I did with the rest of my life. But I still continued with uh, cross-dressing along the way, and um, yeah, it, it's really sad, really. I, I, I wish I had done it back in the 80s, but... Um, I I just didn't really, and um, I just didn't want to, just didn't want to upset my my family. That was all. I mean, you can only do with you can only do your best with the knowledge that you have at that time, right? So back then, you were so like your family was a number one priority, and so I think you can't be so harsh on yourself. But I I understand wanting to live a more authentic life earlier. I mean, there is, I think it's a human 
uh, feeling, isn't it, where you do something that you've been so fearful of or whatever reason it has so much red tape and then you go and do it and you're like, gosh, I should have done this earlier. But but there was a, there was a bit of a reason for it all because we were never able to have children um, due to an accident. I um, my wife's um, 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 reproduction department was completely damaged, and um, and so we were never able to have children. So we adopted two children, and about sixteen years after we were married, um, all of a sudden one day my wife had an appointment with the doctor for some reason. And when she came back, she said, I'm pregnant. I'm five months pregnant. We kind of looked at one another and we thought, well, how the hell did that happen? <laughs> uh, do, do, you, do you really want to know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe there was something that we didn't know that we should have known at the beginning. It's <laughs> <laughs> a funny thing that, isn't it? But um, and, and and that's kind of why I still had a, a young person. If she hadn't have been around, um, uh, and, and I haven't actually been able to tell her uh, as yet the reason why um, she's actually on this earth. She doesn't really know how special and how how um, how uh, that you know that she was able to actually be here. Sounds like a miracle. Um, it was a little bit of a miracle, yeah. So, and then, and then, of course, we moved to the South Island, and so I just put my head down to do more projects, and um, and that's what I did. And um, I just um, fixed up one farm, got it all set up, and sold it off, and then started on another one. And that was just my way of suppressing what I really wanted to do. Mm. Thank you for sharing the ways of this your story of suppression. Like just picking up um, from what you've been saying, Jean. It sounds like you know living in the South Island, being around men, all of these things were just not safe places. And you know you put your head down and try to suppress and try to do the right thing. Um, is that a theme that you can also relate to, Angela? Well, yes, I can, because um, I've been a farmer and literally a vineyard owner all my life. And I've tended to work by myself a lot. Uh, I do. I have had you know, staff to help me, but I quite often had, um, you know, boys fresh out of school to uh, to work and I, and I was their mentor. And I even had women uh, working on the land with me as well. I, so I... Um, I wasn't working with a bunch of men. And I don't think I could work with a bunch of men because I don't really, I'm not really a locker room person. And no, I found it really hard. Yeah. You know, I, I, I find it quite hard working with a bunch of men. And, and even when I went and started playing golf in later years, um, tended to play with the men, but I, I preferred to actually play with the women. I seem to get on better with the women, but, um, and most of my best friends over the years have been women. It's part of the oh, yeah. sisterhood, I think. Yep. And it, what, I, what I did was I, I, I worked 
probably almost, it was like working two jobs and, and Jean would know what it's like on a dairy farm, the sort of hours that, that you work. And I threw myself into everything with great gusto and that sort of covered everything up. When I was quite young, I ended up being captain of the rugby team and captain of the ref, rep team. And then in later years, I became a referee and I, I just did a lot of blokey things and did them well, but a good hundred percent into it so that, so that it covered up how I really felt about life. I wasn't unhappy. I was happy enough, but I wasn't really joyous about what I was doing because I knew what I wanted to do. And it wasn't until uh, about 15 years ago that my wife found out about, about how I felt because I'd kept it from her for 30 years. And what had actually happened was she was quite a heavy woman and she lost 25 kilograms in weight and all of a sudden her clothes didn't fit me anymore. And, and I had to buy my own. I had to go to the op shops and buy my own. And she, of course, found out and she was quite fearful about it all and she didn't want anybody to know and she tried to keep it hidden. And the end result was that I knew if I did, it's not if, when I decided to make the change that I would lose her. And that's, and that's exactly what happened. And I, and I wasn't surprised, but what did surprise me is I've got three grown up children and I thought they were pretty open-minded about things, but they haven't taken this well at all. And I'm pretty much estranged them from them. I can talk to them and text them and what have you, but they won't come and visit me and they, they've never invited them, me to their houses since I transitioned and it's um, I've come to realize that I had, I had 50 ideas to get used to the idea of becoming a woman and they haven't had any time at all. And I've just got to give them time. In fact, talking to other women who've, who have transitioned, uh, sometimes they have a, a, an offspring that, that accepts it straight away, but most often, they take some years to come around to to accepting the fact that you're a woman, not a man. You know, you you're not their dad anymore. Mm. And and I find that a bit. Um, how can I put it? I find that uh, it's not. I'm, I'm not. I am sad about it, but in in some ways I'm excited about it because I know they'll come around eventually. I just know that. For you because I know Jean that you also feel the same way as well of you know if I've had all this time to get used to it and so I should give the gift of time to other people for other people to get used to it as well by the way I think that's very considerate and and loving like for your heart to be expanded so much that you can also give this gift of time and be understanding about it all when I'm sure it's quite painful. I mean, not that I've had an um, experience that is similar to yours, um, but, you know, at, at some points of my life, I have been estranged from my family and it's been some of the darkest and most painful moments of my whole entire life. And so for you both to just have this, very loving and understanding attitude towards it all I think it just shows it's a testament um, to your heart and it's a testament to how much you love yourself that you can love others like this as well 
Um, and I'm sure it would have been a really long and hard journey to get to this place. But I just want to take the time out to say just how like beautiful that is um, for you to have that kind of attitude. Gosh, you've both have said so many things. My mind is like, okay, what do I want to unpick? So the first thing that I want to unpick, and it's something that you both initially brought up, was the fact that, you know, you're in the farming world, in a world that is predominantly dominated by men. And then there's this big lad culture in New Zealand, right? Like when you think of a New Zealand bloke, it's someone who wears their stubbies, drink their beers, watches the rugby, all of this kind of stuff. And here you are working in this world. And, you know, and I'm not too sure when, like, you first had that understanding of the word transgender. But when you were interacting in this male-dominated world, knowing that you don't quite fit in, what was that experience like? Do you mind if both of you could kind of speak to that a bit more? Um, yeah. I, I, working in a workshop with a whole lot of men, um, I was I was always the odd one out. I was always the one that, you know, the, there was jokes made about, um, all that sort of thing. Um, but also... I, because of how I was feeling, it made me very angry. I would get absolutely angry because I I was tied to an apprenticeship and I was trying to finish it. And I didn't want to finish it because it, these people, you know, would make fun of you and, and, and it would make you angry and you just didn't want to get on with those people. And I... I, if it hadn't have been for meeting my partner, I would never have finished that apprenticeship because I would have actually run away. Um, but my, as I said before, my brother and sister teased me a lot and that's what they used to do to me. They would sit there and call out, Pamela, 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 and they would do it until I was absolutely in a rage. And, and those things have happened to me all the way through. Um, even on farm, when I had my own farm and, and all of a sudden things would happen and, and you were finding it was just so hard to cope and and you would just completely blow up in an absolute rage. And I always had this habit of jumping into my ute and just absolutely hammering it down the dirt road just to get everything out of my soul and eventually I'd just drive around and around and for a couple of hours and, and then I'd come home and my partner always brought me back to earth. She she would always come out and, and say, we'll be all right. We just do one job at a time. And so I would, you know, carry on um, and, and, you know, it might last another six months um, and for some reason, things would go wrong and I'd have another blow up. But my partner always just got me through like she'd done when we were first met. And my mother was an alcoholic. It used to break me up a lot. Um, so, yeah, um, I don't know. I think that um, since I've actually left farming, 
I've become a lot more calm. And since I've transitioned, I'm actually doing things I would just never have done as a boy. I, I just absolutely feel so comfortable being um, a, a transgender, being a girl. That, that's I'm just loving it. And um, yeah, I don't know. It, I, I probably probably let Angela have her say. <laughs> Oh, my heart is, you can't, I don't know if you can see me right now, but my, I'm smiling just the way that you spoke about, you know, finding yourself um, becoming a girl. And yeah, I'm not surprised to hear that, that that anger disappeared when you embraced your authentic self. It can, yeah, when the world isn't made to be a comfortable and safe and accepting place for you automatically, there is yeah, there'd be all sorts of emotions. I can definitely understand why anger um, would be one of them. Uh, what about you, Angela? Well, I had I had quite a bit of anger. If you if you had an interview with my family and my wife, they would they would give you quite a different uh, view of what I, of who and what I am because I had anger born out of frustration. I was frustrated, and I didn't really know what that was all about. I do now, but I didn't then. And I didn't realize what I, what I was going to do or, or what I needed to do or what was so compelling for me anybody. Until, until, about, until about 10 years ago. You may, you may, you may have heard of Bruce uh, Jenner becoming Caitlin. Ah, uh, yes. And when I heard about that, I went and cried. Because, I don't, well, I don't know why I cried, but I did. And... Because you, you know, were like me, you, you wanted to do it too. Yeah, well, well yes, I think you're right. And, and and what I did is I went and I bought the book. He wrote a book. She wrote a book. And every second page on the book, I sort of I said to myself, well, that's me. Oh, jeepers, that's me. And I kept on saying it right through the book. And I thought, well, this is going to be me. And when I finally told my wife that I was going to, what I was going to do, um, she said, what brought this on? And, and, and I said, well, Bruce, if Bruce Jenner can do it, well, then I can do it too. Um, I've, I've learned to fly airplanes when I'm older. I've learned to do lots of things when I'm, old, when I'm older. Um, I can do this. And uh, here we are. But also, it's, it's, it's not only be changing my gender, it's changing my whole life. It's changing, it's changing how I think and what I do. I, I've, I've, become, I've become more patient. I've, I've, I don't have the anger um, and I've become more empathetic to what other people's needs are. Mm. And, it's, yes. it's, and that's actually quite extraordinary. I didn't have any of those things before. Um, what well, there was there was three things: uh, patience, empathy, and tolerance. Tolerance is a big one. I was quite intolerant before. If someone didn't come up to my expectations, I had very very high expectations for myself, and I expected everybody around me to have the same expectations. And that that was that was actually unforgivable behaviour on my part because it just put pressure on everybody around and created stress. And if your level of attainment is nowhere near your expectation, well, the bit in between is stress. And and um, 
you see it so often on a golf course or wherever. And you know, I I, I just I just felt that my life was uh, one big lie, and I was actually angry about it all the time. But I haven't got that anger now. People that have met me since my transition, and I've met an awful lot of people. I made some wonderful friends. And they don't see any anger in me anymore, or, or they don't see it at all. They've never seen it, and I hope it'll never ever be there again. Mm. It's interesting that you've both kind of spoken about this anger, and and yeah, as I said before, very understandable when you're not living your authentic self. Why anger would be one of the emotions that would come up. And it's a beautiful thing for the both of you now that you're, you've transitioned, that this anger has, you've let go of this anger because you're living your true life. You're living your authentic self. And um, another thing that I wanted to say, Angela, during your story, this is why representation matters. And this is why it's so important to have stories in the mainstream that reflect the diversity of our community because I mean I'm not too sure I'm not a I'm not in control of time I'm not too sure what would have happened if you didn't read um Caitlin's book but you know it could have been a different journey if you if you didn't read that book and have those aha moments of relation um so I think even the fact that you're having this conversation with me today, there might be someone out there who's listening to it and having an aha moment of themselves. Um, and one relationship that you both keep kind of bringing up so far in this corridor is your your partners, your your wives. And I'm curious to hear more about what was it like when you told your partners at the time that, hey, actually, I want to transition. I'm a girl because, but you know, that is your, like, this is a huge step to make, right? And you're kind of putting your hand out there, being vulnerable and speaking this truth. And I, I hope that by asking your stories of what, a, what it was like um telling your your wives at the time how can that reflect into how we support each other better um if you know what I mean so what yeah what was that moment like when you told your partners at the time hey I'm a, I'm a girl well, uh, I'll, I'll just start off by saying I never bothered to read Jenna's book I wrote I, I, I've written my whole, my whole story myself, um, but apart, um, telling my my wife, um, my wife was a nurse, so she hadn't she trained at a later age, and so she was pretty worldly wise, and it didn't seem to bother her what I was doing that I was cross dressing. And um, she just put it down to the fact that I had a lot more estrogen running around in my body than than I had um, testosterone. So she was she seemed to be quite comfortable with that. And of course, that was back in the eighties when I still had a little person to look after, and uh, and that's what I did. Your wife sounds very very supportive. 
to have that just innate understanding and to give you this early and get and get, get back home and do the little girl's hair and get a lunch and what have you and take her off to school. So so I did my womanly duties that way. Yeah, I've I think it's so cool that your yeah, your wife gave you the space just to do <laughs> maybe she didn't understand everything, but the fact that she just gave you the space to do whatever it yep. was you needed to do, I I think that's that's very amazing to hear. Mm. And what about yep, you? No. She's cutting out, I think. Cutting no, um, out. I'm, I, I'm outside, actually, because um, uh, every now and again, you guys seem to cut out. Oh, can you hear us all right at the moment, though, Jim? Yeah, now. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Okay. Um, what about yourself, Angela? Well, mine's a, mine's a different story. I, I've been married for 46 years. I was only 20 when, and my wife was 21 when, when we got married. And I, I loved her enormously, still do. But we, well, we rapidly had three children after, not long after we, we married and um, we had a farm to run. We worked enormous hours. Um, we had the children to see to. We were reasonably remote. It was an, uh, an hour's drive to town. Um, we worked very hard to build, you know, build a life together. And the subject, of course, never came up with her. I never discussed it with her because I knew she wouldn't. She wouldn't take it favourably because I knew her very well. And when she found out about my cross-dressing, she tried to hide it. She was fearful of it. And when I finally, and when I'd read um, Jenna's book and said that I would rather be a woman than a man, she didn't take that well at all. And she said, uh, made a comment to me, oh, what will my friends think of me if I end up living with a woman? And she was so fearful and scared of what her life would be if I made this change and she said to me, she didn't want anything at all to do with it. So I never discussed it with her from that moment on. And I knew that if I did, it would just make her unhappy and miserable. And um, so, so I didn't uh, discuss it anymore. I just quietly made my own plans and uh, it was just before lockdown. Uh, it was exactly two years ago, February, two years ago, I went and saw the psychologist. And had a couple of sessions with her, and it, um, there was no barrier to me carrying on and having um, um, hormone treatments. And I was due to do that right at the beginning of lockdown, so I had to had to wait till the end of that first lockdown before I could go to Nelson, to the endocrinologist, and started on the treatments. And I still hadn't discussed it with her, and she found out about my uh, treatments about a month after I was on them, and then she said she didn't want me in her house anymore so we, I made arrangements to move out and she will she will never understand uh, uh, the where's and the why's about it because she she just doesn't want to know she doesn't want to discuss it which I find a little sad but um, well that's the way it is and I have to respect what she wants 
Mm, thank you for sharing all of that. Um, it sounds really like tough and it's quite raw. So thank you for sharing that part of your life and journey with us. Um, despite all of this, all of this pain and your wife not understanding, um, are you at that point where you're like, I'm so happy to be authentically me. I'm prioritizing that over everything else. Yes, I am. Uh, I wasn't a year ago. I wasn't. That was six months after. I've been eighteen months now on hormone treatment, and and the endocrinologist didn't get it quite right, and I was quite depressed this time last year. But I got saved by another doctor who put me onto a different regime of treatment, and it it restored the balance of sanity in my head and I'm, I'm now I'm, I'm perfectly happy with being the person that I am in fact I'm so happy that I've started to realize another childhood dream um, I've been four weeks now into singing lessons and I'm learning to become an opera singer oh that's gorgeous yeah oh my goodness I've always wanted to be one and thought everybody told me that I couldn't be one it was a bit like people uh, telling me when I was young that I, that I wouldn't make a decent farmer. I set out to prove them wrong, which I did. And I'm going to prove the old me wrong and learn to sing and learn to sing well. And, and I'm a, I may be in an opera one day. Oh, that's so beautiful. I'm looking forward to watching you in an opera, Angela, and I'm looking forward to reading your life book, Jean, one of these days. Um, and I think it's so beautiful that the both of you, even though it's come at a high cost, that you have chosen yourself and you've chosen to truly be you. Um, I think it can, it's very empowering. Um, and I can sense your happiness when you talk about, you know, I'm, I'm happy now and I'm living life as me, as I've always meant to be. Um, but of course, on the flip side, there's always this high cost. And I think when we think about cisgendered people and how we want to support the transgender community, um, I think sometimes we forget about that high cost that comes with transitioning. And what I wanted to ask the both of you is in, in your, in, in your way of thinking, what is the what are the best ways that the cisgendered community can show solidarity to the trans community and be better friends and better allies? Um, I've written something down here that I yeah. actually were. Hit us um, with words, Jean. What then? Hit us with the words that the that you've written. I'm excited to hear. Um, yeah, I'm just trying to look for it right now. Um, oh, golly, I'm I'm just being hopeless at the minute. No, you're right, Jean. Perhaps we can show yeah. to Angela while you're looking for your words. Um, well, I've got, yeah, I've got it here. Um, oh, yeah. I, I've just I've actually just written down here that um, um, just to be there um, with love and sympathy and support for us that's that's the the best way and um, I actually love it when somebody 
um, gives me a hug because I know then that I've been accepted by, you know, other people. Um, I, I go regularly to uh, Invercargill to the LGBT group down there and uh, I have a, a wonderful support group there and um, if you ever want a hug, that's the place to go. <laughs> and they, they really look after you and, and I just feel like they're just about part of my family now. That's beautiful. I think when we have these kind of conversations, it always comes back down, like boils down to the simple, just love. Just yeah. give and receive love. Yeah. yeah. And no, it's that... simple, but sometimes quite hard to, to practice. I don't know. I feel like we live in a really interesting world where it's not so easy for people to love each other, especially when there are perceived differences, right? Like if you are from the queer community, even me being a Muslim um, in New Zealand, in Aotearoa, our indigenous community, um, there's a lot of hate that's given to um, tangata whenua. And, you know, it makes, it makes no sense when it all boils down to just uh, giving love but I think when we have those perceived barriers um, it's hard for us as a collective to do that um, but what about your thoughts in this space Angela? Well yeah well it's surprising uh, some of the people that you least expect it come out and say the most kindest things and it yep. and is it's men and women. Um, oh, there's also people that are not so kind, but I, I tend to steer clear of them if I can. But I had to watch out where the people that were kind to me, I had to watch out that I didn't sort of fall in love with them because I was so grateful for their kindness. Yeah. And, like that. yeah. So what, I, what I've decided, and I've made it a policy of mine, that there's only love and light in my pathway and, and I will love everybody, even mm. those that are a little unkind. If I love them it, it, or show love to them, um, they will be kinder next time. And it, and it kind of works. It rubs off on everybody. And, and, and as you say, the hugs, hugs give you the endorphins that, you, that we all need. And my friends and my new family. Yep. And, yeah, I'm I'm sort of digging along quite well. The pathway that I'm on has a few boulders strewn about it, and I've stubbed my toe the odd time or two. But I recover from that. And, you know, sometimes we fall down, sometimes we fail, but with a, with a lot of, with a bit of help from our friends, we'll get up and we'll be stronger again when we get up. And and that's yeah. what's happened. I'm much yeah. stronger than I was. In fact, I've got the. I've got the body of a man and the mind of a woman now, and that makes me very strong. Mm, strength, and I love that message of being love and light, regardless of what other people give to you. Um, and hope we keep on giving that love and light in hopes that the next time that they're uh, less unkind. And I think I want to dive deeper with this question a bit more because of course we can always work towards being loving with each other. But I think if you, if you are part of the majority, so say for example, you are 
a cisgendered white man in New Zealand, right? Just for example, because that comes with a lot of privileges. But as a trans woman, and you might, you will have noticed this difference from going from cisgendered white men to um, a woman, what other ways is life harder and and difficult and how can we support in that and just to give you an example of what I'm talking about um you know recently the end conversion therapy bill has been um discussed in parliament and there was a call um to action for anyone regardless of you are transgender or not to put in a submission and to support this banning of the conversion therapy um and so in that similar vein how can we support the transgender community better because i can i can imagine that you know outside of the loving and being kind to each other and using kind words from a systematic point of view life must be life must be easy and harder in some ways since transitioning um and so how can we use our voice in different ways um to better support the transgender community oh um i'm not really sure i thought we sort of um answered that before but um i i think we we just need people to be with us um I think that's the the best thing. Um, something that I will say, um, which you might be interested in, is um, back at last August, I I did a the 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 paper did an article on me down here, which ended up going into the Sunday Star Times, and through that, through that, I um, a company um, in Christchurch rang the Chroma group down here and asked for a transgender person to interview and the girls said oh yeah we've got we've got um several people here that'll do an interview and they said no we want the person that was in that article so they paid my way up to Christchurch to do an interview and what they were actually doing was making a training video to um, to train their people to be inclusive of everybody, and so they they interviewed um, Muslim people, they interviewed um, you know, handicapped people, and and they wanted a transgender pe- person, and so I went up there, and uh, it was a couple of hours interview, and, but I was pleased to do it. And um, I, I think that I'm hoping that something will come out of it for us. That's wonderful. I think that's definitely another way that we can be a better friend to the transgender community. Just increasing that education, right? I think that's yeah. wonderful. Before I go to town, um, I, I have a really good um profile in town nobody bothers me and everybody's pleased to see me um but every time i go to town i i have this in my head and i say right now let's go and train the village and mm. and that's what i do and and i try to make people understand just where i am and and 
I had so much positivity from the whole town, really. I can go anywhere I like, and people are quite happy to chat to me and um, serve me, and I have had no negative results at all, which is very unusual for a place like where southern men and hunting and fishing and shooting all come from. (laughs) Well, that shows to me that there's hope out there, and I love that mindset of, okay, let's train the the village. I think that you're a wonderful, well, both of you are wonderful ambassadors and champions um, for the transgender community. Um, One thing that I really wanted to ask both of you is, you know, both of you transitioned at a later stage in your life. And this is going to sound so strange because I know I'm not super old. I'm only 27, but I'm really grappling with the fact that I'm not fresh out of high school anymore. And it's actually quite a scary feeling because, you know, we've been brought up to think life happens on a timeline and you have to achieve certain things at a certain point. And if you don't, well, that's it. Like, especially, this is a very niche topic, but I don't know, I'm at that age where people are having babies and people are coming up to me saying, well, Amal, if you don't plan to have kids soon, like your window of opportunity is closing. But basically, I am learning to let go of my fear of aging because I associate aging with lack of opportunities or like your life is kind of just set in stone and even if you're unhappy about it you can't move stone um and I think it's very inspiring that both of you transitioned at a later stage in your life and you're really a living example of the fact that change can happen at any time of your life and no matter what age you are life is full of beautiful beginnings and so I just wanted to ask you or invite you to talk more about how you think um a how you think about age and how you um approach it was when you were thinking about transitioning did your age ever cross your mind at all um I'll start off um there is no age limit to transgender um I've actually heard of a person who trans at 80 years old. Um, um, I never had the chance to do it earlier. Um, and I'm probably the oldest out of us all. Um, and and um, I do like to dress a bit younger than I actually am. And I have quite often um, been compliment, complimented on my dress sense by uh, even younger women. And um, to get an idea of of where I'm actually thinking, or where my thinking is, um, I guess you can put it down to the fact that I'm a 70-something going on 17 at the moment. <laughs> I love that mindset so much. It's such a expansive mindset, right? Like everything is feasible and possible. Um, and you're not holding yourself back. I think that's so wonderful. Um, what about you, Angela? Well, I'm 67 years young. <laughs> and as Jean said, anything you know, anything is possible. Age doesn't need to be a limitation 
on what you can do. I've just been to a yoga session tonight and there was a new uh, man there and he was very, he really, really struggled to do some of the yoga poses. But as he said, um, if he doesn't, if he doesn't do something like that, he will, he will get old very quickly. And you've got to um, use your body, use your mind, use all the resources that are available to you to to actually do what you want to do. And I, I don't feel as though I'm 67 years of age. I, I climb hills. I do all sorts of things. Uh, I started on a singing career. Um, you know, and I've got to learn that. I've just finished, um, uh, I spent 10 years flying and I'm not doing that anymore. I've got, can't get the medical, but that doesn't matter. It just means a new, one door closes and another one opens. Yep. And there's no end to what yep. we can do. So no. don't be despondent uh, when you're 27. You, you're only 27, year, 27 years young. Uh, the only thing you haven't got, which I, um, Gene and I have got, is experience. And there's no substitute for experience. Um, you've got to be there and do that, do that to, to get it. And, and uh, as you get older and you, get, and you have those experiences, you can be of a lot of use to those that are younger than you. Yeah. And if anybody, you know, quite young wants to know anything about about what we've been through, well, I'm happy to I'm happy to tell them of my experiences, so that I might be of some help. And I, and to that end, I I did a um, an article in the Melbourne Magazine back in September. It was a three page article, and it was quite a powerful story. And I. Um, the uh, magazine editors sent a professional photographer around. In fact, my um, Facebook f- uh, photographers came from there. It, it makes me look a lot better, a lot better, and a lot younger than what I am. But um, I was like, um, that that was that was quite a powerful story. But unfortunately, not many younger people, transgender people, actually re- um, got to read that. But um, it wasn't the type of magazine that that reached them. Which was a bit, which was a bit of a shame, but I, I think you're as young as you feel, and and I feel as though I've got a lot of years left in me. I did have a comment made by one of my family that why wait until I'm so late in life to do this? I've probably only got fifteen good years left, and I I looked at her in the eye and I said, "Well, I think I've got more than fifteen good years left. You've just got to be positive about this. I'm actually quite excited about this, and." Then good years is good enough for me. Oh, well, who knows? All I know is that I'm still counting. And while you're counting, you're, you're going well. And, uh, you know, the, there, there's no end to this journey. Um, there, there's the, the, the road is there and it's there for us to take. And that's what we're doing. I love this so much. I love how you're both just like big F you to what society is saying. And you're just really loving yourself and you're honoring yourself by just doing what you want to do, expressing yourself how you want to. I think that's so wonderful. Angela and Jean, I could spend all my time talking with you, um, but I do have to wrap it up. And I want to end this episode on a powerful note. And the last question that I want to ask you is, you know, perhaps even now after hearing both of your stories, 
perhaps not everyone will intimately um, uh, understand what it's like to be a transgender. But I think because of the fact that we're all just humans, I think we can all relate to the feeling of what it's like to feel as if you can't be your authentic self. And for some people, they feel like that all the time. But for some people, that feeling is only with certain people or in certain spaces. But we can all tap into that feeling of what it feels like to not be your authentic self. And to remedy that um, is to free yourself and free yourself to be your authentic self. And um, I would love to hear what freedom means to the both of you. Um. I think that um, I, I always had this girl called Jean following me around all the time. And it, and it was, you know, every time I was doing some cross-dressing or whatever, it was always Jean. And, and, and now I've, um, I've actually allowed Jean to take over. And I, I actually feel so much more freedom now than what I ever did when I was trying to be a boy. Um, I just absolutely love everything that I've done. I love what I am now. Um, and, and I just hope I can go through the whole transitional piece because um, I, I just love being a girl. Um, it just, it just, um, just seems to suit me. I, I, a lot of the things that I've been doing since I transgendered um, I would never, ever have done before. I, I, I just always tried to keep my head down and keep out of sight of everybody. And now, um, you know, before I, I used to think that I was being watched all the time. Uh, and now I know I'm being watched and, and I don't really care anymore. I just, I don't mind people you know, looking at me. Uh, I used to hate mirrors because I could never see the person that I wanted to see in there. And now I spend quite a bit of time in front of the mirror trying to tart myself up. Oh, that's beautiful, Jean. I'm so glad you let Jean take over. <laughs> that is so beautiful. Yeah. Yep. What about you, Angela? What does freedom mean well, to you? Well, it means I'm free to express myself as I want to. Before, there were certain ways that I was able to as a, as, a, as a bloke. But it was according to protocol that we, I was limited to what I could do. I couldn't be beautiful. I couldn't be frivolous. I couldn't um, just be what I wanted to be. And, and mm. I know it comes with a few, um, a few things that are a lot harder. Um, my status in the world has gone down, but I don't really care about that. I, I just want to be free to be, uh, to have a bit of fun, to, uh, to do the things that I, I, you know, really have a passion for. And and I've taken up one of the passions for, for singing that that I wanted, and and I'm really really enjoying that. I'm, in fact, I'm like a Labrador with two tails on that one, <laughs> but. It's just automatic now. I get up in the morning, oh, what am I going to wear? Have I got an outfit for what I want to do today? And mm. 
I've rummaged around in the wardrobe and have I got the shoes to go with it? And of course, I've got a thousand pairs of shoes, but <laughs> um, but then <laughs> then they say, oh, they say we can't make up our minds. Uh, that's because we've got choices, too many choices. <laughs> that's what freedom is, isn't it? Choices. Well, it is. Free, freedom to make choices. And, that's and why I, girls have got two wardrobes. Well, that's right. Um, uh, I, I've, I've got I've got a big wardrobe, and and uh, I'm not afraid to go out and, and get things that I need. I I one of my very best friends is a is a hairdresser and stylist, and she helps me a lot. And I've learned an awful lot, and um, I'm starting to get a bit of experience as a woman now, and and it's just magical. Oh, freedom is magical. Freedom is choices. Freedom is love. Thank you so much, Jean and Angela, for your time. This conversation has been beautiful, and thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for That's all right. There's no problem at all. Call us anytime. I'm sure Angela feels the same. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. I think I'm going yeah. to ask you back for round two. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe I'll be able to find some way to get a to get on a, a picture. Yeah. We'll figure out the Zoom thing for the next time, but thank you so much, Angela and Jean. Yeah, next time I'll I'll be a better singer and I'll be able to sing for you next time. Oh yes, this is good plan. This time I'm going to keep you in suspense. This time. Thank you for tuning in into another episode of Headscarfs and Good Yarns. To keep spinning the yarns, let us know your thoughts. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Headscarfs and Good Yarns or email us at headscarfsandgoodyarn at gmail.com. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.